Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Spirit of Prophecy podcast. I appreciate you joining me today as we continue going through the prophecies of Ezekiel and making sure we understand exactly what to do with those prophecies, those pre-tribbers, the uh, pro-Israel people. They are desperate and they will use anything that they can uh, to try to advance their goofy, flawed doctrine. And Ezekiel is a very common place that they will go to really throw a lot of confusion at you. And I, will, I, I do want to give a little testimony about what really helped me with Ezekiel. I actually had a conversation uh, several years ago with uh, Bill Grady. And Bill Grady, one time he called me up trying to sell me one of his books. And uh, this is kind of when our feud started. And I, you know, he called me up. And I knew what his position was. I had literally listened to a sermon that day that he had preached. First sermon I had ever heard him preach. And it was on Israel. I had literally listened to it that day. And sure enough, he called me that very day. He got my number uh, from an evangelist. And uh, he was trying to find preachers he could sell his book to. And uh, this preacher didn't know where I was on that subject. And so Bill Grady made the big mistake of calling me trying to sell me that book. And I remember we had a conversation. We went back and forth for a long time. Won't go into all the conversation, but I do remember while I felt like I was prepared for everything he was throwing at me, and I was definitely getting the better of him in the conversation. Proof of that is I have a whole montage of him talking about me all over the country. Uh, I, I really stirred him up. I was keeping him from his Jimmy John's that day. But I remember he did throw one thing at me I was not prepared for. And he started talking about how in Ezekiel that there's going to be a temple where sacrifices are going to be made again. He's like, do you not realize that someday God's going to go back to the temple sacrifices? And he went into all this nonsense. I'm like, I'm like, what? No, God's not going to bring the sacrifices back. Hebrews makes that clear. But then he brought up in all these things in Ezekiel. We're talking about this temple that's really large. That's never happened. And he started saying all these things were still yet to come. And I'm... I knew, I knew there was never going to be sacrifices coming back. But at the same time, too, I didn't know how to explain what he brought up about the prophecies of Ezekiel. And he spent a lot of time in Ezekiel in that conversation, I think mostly because that's where I was least prepared. And so it was like he found a weak spot. And Ezekiel was definitely that weak spot for me. And so while I knew what he was saying was nonsense, I did not know what the right thing was when it came to Ezekiel. And so understand, while there are certain things that we know because the scriptures plainly tell us these things in the New Testament, if there is a place somewhere in the Old Testament they can go where we, we do not understand it, uh, we don't know how to explain it, the, the pre-tribbers will exploit that passage. That they, they will hang there. They'll just hang out there because they feel it's a safe place. So anytime I see them doing that kind of thing, I'm going to go study it out and I'm going to find out what I believe and what the Bible actually teaches on that. And I did. And so I, you know, and it was a few years later before I, you know, fully got into it and fully understood it. But I eventually uh, came to understand exactly what was going on in Ezekiel. And it just showed me even more what a heretic Bill Grady is uh, in thinking that sacrifices are going to come back sacrifices are never going to come back, at least not ones that God will accept. I believe the Antichrist might do some sacrifices in the temple, but I do not believe that God will ever use a temple again. Never. 
God will never accept animal sacrifices again. And go ahead and try to argue with me about that and show me, you're going to go to Ezekiel to try to prove those things, but we're going to cover that on Friday. Today, I want to stay in the Valley of Dry Bones, and I am, I'm so thankful I was challenged on this because studying this gave me clarity on a lot of things in the scriptures. So before we get into chapter 37, I do want to go to the end of chapter 36 because this is a passage that is used by the pro-Israel people all the time. And again, if you have not watched yesterday's program, you really, you have to watch that before you watch this one, or you're going to be behind on a lot of stuff. You really do need to watch that first. But Ezekiel 36, 22 says, Therefore say unto the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, and uh, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified you in before their eyes. And so, you know, what people often do is say, I, I know Israel's done a lot of bad stuff because, you know, people on our side will often talk about how wicked Israel is and how wicked the Jews are. I know that, but God's not done with them. And God's going to save them, not for their sake. No, for his name's sake. That's what he said in Ezekiel 36. So yeah, yes, they reject Christ, but he's going to save them for his name's sake. So they, they like to proof text you with this passage. It says, for I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and will bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water upon you and you shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Will I cleanse you and a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit I will I put within you and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. And people will say, God still hasn't done this yet. And I, and my response to that is baloney. Baloney. So are, are you really going to tell me this has already happened? Yes. Yes, I'm going to tell you that this has already happened. Look what it says in verse 27. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And ye shall be my people and I will be your God. And I will also save you from all your uncleannesses. And I will call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you. And I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field that ye shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. Then shall you remember your own evil ways and your own, your doings that were not good and shall loathe yourselves in your own sight for your iniquities and for your abominations. Not for your sakes do I this, saith the Lord God. Be it known unto you, be ashamed and confounded for your own ways, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord God, in the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities, I will cause you to dwell in the cities and the waste shall be builded. Now, say, how has that already happened? And let me just say it this way, that a fulfillment of that has already happened. Because remember what we talked about last week. These prophecies had instructions that came with them. And Israel did not follow them, and God said Israel wouldn't follow them. But in order to fulfill righteousness, God cannot hold Israel accountable for something that he has not told them to do. He has, and so God gave them some instructions. God told them, I'm going to restore you to the land. I'm going to let you rebuild the temple. And there's some things that you all need to do that he spends a lot of time on in Ezekiel 40 through 48. 
And then the Messiah is going to come and do all these things. But understand, all of those things that God said, while we do see in the New Testament, Jesus show up to do his role. Israel did exactly what God said that they would do, and they didn't listen. They disobeyed. They rejected him. They did exactly what Isaiah prophesied. They rejected him. So understand, there is, we do see prophecies where the Bible shows exactly what did happen, how it was going to happen. But we also see prophecies that didn't play out exactly the way it was stated in those prophecies because those ones were contingent on their obedience. And most people go to Ezekiel and they read these prophecies as if Israel obeyed, but they didn't. So what we, we are, there are certain things that we see fulfilled. There's other things that we don't see fulfilled. And here's why we see some things fulfilled, because we see the Messiah come and do what he said he was going to do. But we also see Israel do what God said they were going to do, and that's disobey. But in Ezekiel, those prophecies are given, telling them, here's what I want you to do, and they didn't do those things. So the way these things play out, the way these things are going to be fulfilled are going to be different. But understand, where we will find fulfillment of these prophecies, it will always be the way they will play out and turn out is better, which is a word we see throughout the book of Hebrews, trying to get Israel to accept this new covenant, that we see it's better. The promises has better promises. And so many people are looking for the inferior promises to be fulfilled, which never will be fulfilled because Israel disobeyed. What we should be doing is studying the New Testament and figuring out how, you know, what the superior fulfillment is going to be. Because that's what's going to happen, not what we see in Ezekiel 37 through 48. We, we're, we're, we're actually expecting better things to take place. And so understand, God does not break his promise when he ends up giving you something better. Okay, When God does something better than what he said he was going to do. If I tell you I'm going to give you $10 and then later I give you $100, I didn't lie to you. I, I, I gave you what I promised and then some. And understand, God promised some good things for Israel if they will do this, this, and this, and this. Well, Israel didn't do those things. So what did God do? God ended up giving them something better, but they do have to accept Jesus as the Messiah in order to receive that. And so you say, well, God never did turn, you know, uh, cleanse them from their iniquities, like we see in Ezekiel 36. It says, I, I will save you from all your uncleannesses. You know, he said, uh, then shall you remember no more your own evil ways and your doings that were not good and shall loathe yourselves. And so God talked about all these things. And uh, he said in verse 33, thus saith the Lord God in the day that I shall have cleansed you from all your iniquities. You say that still has to happen. Well, here's the thing. It did happen to some of them. But again, most of them disobeyed. Acts 3.24 Yea, and all the prophets from Samuel and those that follow after, as many as have spoken, have likewise foretold of these days. Peter's talking about things in their day, in the present day that they were in. It's like, we are in the days the prophets spoke about. Ye are the children of the prophets and of the covenant, which God made with our fathers, saying unto Abraham, and in thy seed shall all the kindreds of the earth be blessed. And some people today are still teaching that, all families are blessed through Jews. No, all families are blessed 
through Jesus, including Jews. Because notice, it says, unto you first, God having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you. And how did he bless them? In turning away every one of you from his iniquities. Now, did all Israel get turned away from their iniquities that day? Well, all of faith did. All the real Israel did. Those of faith, they did get turned from their iniquities. When they believed on Christ, they received cleansing from their sin. Isaiah 49 prophesied of those days. In verse 8, it says, Thus saith the Lord, In an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation I have I helped thee, and I will preserve thee, and give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. So that's something in the future. No. 2 Corinthians 6, 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation have I succored thee. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And Paul said that to the Corinthians. Paul took that promise to sal of salvation to Israel, and he, and he applied it to the Corinthians too. What's going on? You know why? Because Gentiles are included in the new and the better covenant. Jesus took away all those things that were against us. He removed those carnal ordinances. He took those things that were against us and he nailed them to his cross. And so we now have access, just like Israel, to the covenants, the promises, all those things. And so understand, under the old covenant, there was a separation from Jews and Gentiles. But Jesus removed that with the new and better covenant. And so when Israel believed on Christ, they did. They received cleansing from their iniquities. God put his spirit in them. When, when they got saved, he put his spirit in them. You say, but all these other things haven't happened yet. Well, again, God's not done. It's still the day of salvation. Okay, these days that it's talking about, it's not just a 24-hour period. Okay, Paul clearly, you know, Peter said God prophesied of these days. Paul, years later, is saying this is the day of salvation, and we are still in that day of salvation. <clears throat> but understand, when the resurrection comes, okay, the resurrection you know, they're, they're trying to insist that we call it the rapture. And I understand what people mean by that. But if we call it the resurrection, this is what they're afraid is going to happen. You will associate it with an event we see in Ezekiel 37. When we, if we call it the resurrection, it sounds a lot like the same event that God promised for Israel many times in the Old Testament. And it is. It's the same event. It's the same event. Everybody wants to separate Israel from the church, Christians from Jews and all that. They, they want it. That's not right. They're, sa they're saved and there's unsaved. There's, God only has one people. And so let's look at Ezekiel 37 now, having said all this, and uh, see what we're supposed to do with this. Ezekiel 37 1 says, The hand of the Lord is upon me and carried me out in the spirit, and the Lord set me down in the midst of a valley which was full of bones, and caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, they were very many in the open valley, and lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Again, he said unto me, prophesy unto these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and ye shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and bring flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and ye shall live and ye shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded and as I prophesied, there was a noise and behold, a shaking and the bones came together, bone to his bone and when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, 
but there was no breath in them. Now, embarrassingly enough, many people are prophesying that 1948 was the fulfillment. And we are currently in this state where the bones have come back together. The flesh and the skin are back on the bones, but there's no breath in them yet. Because when they claim that, you know, Israel returned to the land and they're still God's chosen people, and that we're like, well, wait a minute, but they're not even saved. How can that be? They don't have, how can you have the father when you don't have the son? Isn't that contrary to what Jesus said? And they're like, well, no, this is just showing God's preparing them for this cleansing and for this salvation. And so they've come back together as a body. They just don't have God's spirit in them yet. And that's why they're still wicked. But God eventually, you know, after the rapture, he's going to breathe his spirit into them. They're all going to get saved. And I just, it, it, this is, it's embarrassing. But because we do have some really clear things coming up in here. It says, Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came in unto them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. And he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. That's not the church, it's Israel. That's what they'll tell you. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. 1948. But wait a minute, there was something missing. Nobody came out of their graves in 1948. Oh, well, it's symbolic. But wait a minute. Verse 13, and ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. How is this not the resurrection? How, how is this not the resurrection? This is the resurrection. People are, they're, they're still claiming today that there has to be ethnic Jews and there has to be the 12 tribes because God's promised all these things to the tribes of Israel. Jesus told the disciples, you're going to be judging the 12 tribes, the children of Israel. Listen, obviously that's going to happen, but the disciples aren't going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel until the regeneration or the resurrection. They have to come back to life first, and they will. And you know who else is going to come back to life with them? People from the 12 tribes of Israel. But yet people today are still insisting, no, this has to be fulfilled with an ethnic group out there today that can't prove their lineage, that has no idea what tribe. They're from. They're insisting it has to be fulfilled that way. No, it will not be fulfilled that way. It will be fulfilled through people that were a part of the 12 tribes. People who came out of their graves, not lost people that are out there today or who supposedly are going to get saved in the future. That's not the case at all. He makes it very clear this happens in the resurrection when their graves are opened. This is not that that's not symbolic there. What he, this vision was clearly symbolic, but he said, you're going to know on the Lord when the graves are open. I'm going to show you, I'm going to fulfill these things with you. You will see these things come to pass. The promises that it talks about in Hebrews 11 that they did not obtain, they will receive those things in the resurrection. The things that God promised to Abraham, he didn't receive them in his lifetime, but he will receive them. When? In the resurrection, when he comes out of his grave, when his grave is open, that's when. And he says, and I shall put and put my spirit in you and you shall live and I shall place you in your own land. Then you shall know I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. 
Verse 15, Then the word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, Moreover, son of man, take thee one stick and ride upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel and his companions, and take another stick and ride upon it <clears throat> for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions, and join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thine hand. And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Wilt thou not show us what thou meanest by these? Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel his fellows, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in mine hand. And the sticks whereon thou ridest shall be in thine hand before their eyes, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side, and bring them into their own land, and I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountain of Israel, mountains of Israel, and one king shall be king to them, and they shall no more should be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them so they shall be my people and I will be their God. Now, I don't, I really don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but unfortunately, you know, when, if we're, I'm kind of trying to reach out to the pre-trib pro-Israel crowd and they are so far behind on so many things and this subject probably deserves its its own podcast but clearly here God wanted one kingdom that's all God wanted during this time Israel was two kingdoms you had the northern kingdom you had the southern kingdom the northern kingdom had been taken captive many years before the southern kingdom was taken captive many years before that but God wanted to restore them even though these people were a mess. They were in very bad shape. And uh, yeah, I, I don't have time to get into all this, but let me just hit a couple scriptures about this to just understand what happened to the Northern Kingdom, to specifically to Ephraim, okay, to Ephraim. But Psalm 78, 67 says, Moreover, he refused the tabernacle of Joseph and chose not the tribe of Ephraim, but chose the tribe of Judah, the Mount Zion, which he loved. While the kingdom of Israel got split, God still fulfilled his promise of a seed of the Messiah, but not through the kingdom of Ephraim, but through the kingdom of Judah. So we have Judah that was not just the tribe of Judah. It was the tribe of Judah, Benjamin, and Levi. They were all part of that southern kingdom. But then the northern kingdom, it had the other tribes. But Ephraim kind of became the lead tribe like Judah was the lead tribe, while the kingdom was in the line of Judah, eventually, it didn't happen right away, but eventually in the northern kingdom, Ephraim became the main tribe. It became the lead tribe. The capital of the northern kingdom was in Samaria, which is part of uh, Ephraim's territory and that northern kingdom. And so when the Bible would speak of Judah, it's referring to Judah and all the tribes that were part of the southern kingdom, which was just Benjamin and Levi in Judah. In the northern kingdom, it would often just refer to all the tribes as Ephraim because they were kind of the lead tribe. But Ephraim got rejected. Ephraim was rejected. Now, why did they get rejected? Isaiah 7, 5 shows us that they made an alliance with some of the you know, heathen nations against Judah. This upset God greatly. It says, because Syria, Ephraim, Ephraim and the son of Remaliah have taken evil counsel against these saying, 
Let us go up against Judah and vex it and make us a breach therein for us and set a king in the midst of it, even the son of Tabiel. Thus saith the Lord God, it shall not stand, neither shall it come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, the head of Damascus is reason. And within threescore and five years shall Ephraim be broken, that it be not a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is Remaliah's son. If you will not believe, surely you shall not be established. And later on in Hosea, we see a prophecy too, that those who said they are not a people, there they will be called people, the sons of the living God, I think is how it's worded. And did you know Paul quoted that passage in Romans to the Romans? Isn't that interesting? You know why? Because the tribe of Ephraim became very intermixed with Gentiles. And so when God made a way of restoration for Ephraim, as polluted as they all were, understand legally that is what opened the doors for all the Gentiles. So we could be a part of that covenant. So for Ephraim to be restored, understand it does. It opens things up for the Gentiles as well. And so Ephraim is often a picture of the Gentiles. And there is so much scripture I could go to on that. I'm pro I'll probably cover that on another day. Just uh, why I always tell people if they, when they're like, you think you're Israel, what tribe are you from? When they're being smart, Alex, like that, I just tell them Ephraim, just so they'll give me a funny look. But that, I, that's actually a legitimate statement. My, you know, the, the fulfillment of prophecies that I am a part of, you know, as a Gentile, I legally am able to claim those things through the tribe of Ephraim. And again, that, that's another subject for another day. But I love telling people that and just the, the blank look they get, it just shows their ignorance of the scriptures. But God showed right then, God wanted one kingdom, one kingdom. And God wanted to dwell with these people. Look what it says in verse, uh, let's go to verse 24. And David, my servant, shall be king over them and they shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. And they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt. And they shall dwell therein, even they and their children, and their children's children forever. And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them. And it shall be an everlasting covenant for them, uh, with them. And I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also should be with them. Yea, I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel, when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forevermore. Notice all those forevers that are in there. And let me ask you, is it your position that David will be king of Israel forever? When, when, he's, when God said this in Ezekiel 37... Was he telling us that David would be king forever? Or was he telling us Jesus would be king forever? Basically, the, the kingdom of David would be reestablished, and so Jesus Christ would be the fulfillment of that. Well, it looks like it's ta literally talking about David. It's been talking about the resurrection, so certainly that would be a reference to David, right? Well, I, I don't personally believe D David will be king of Israel forever. I believe it's going to be Jesus. Okay, that that's my position on that. If God wanted to use David for that, I guess he could. I'm not I, I'm not going to fight with people too much on that. But here's the thing about that. Um I believe we find 
fulfillment of these things through Jesus. Because remember, and we'll see more of this later, Israel did not do the things God said to do. And so we're, when we're looking at these prophecies, it's not just telling us this is going to happen. These are examples of this will happen if you do this, this, and this. Israel didn't do any of those things. Therefore, it's not going to play out that way. Now, we do understand God always knew it was going to be Jesus. God always knew that, but it didn't change the fact God had to tell Israel, you know, this is what will happen if you obey. They have, there has to be something for them to obey for them to be disobey, disobedient. And so understand too, we should be able to find things in the scriptures that show what would be if they obey. And I believe we see that in Ezekiel. This is what will be if they obey. But God's already told us in the beginning, they're not going to obey. So we don't need to look for fulfillment through an ethnicity. We need, to, but, but we will find fulfillment of these things, but we'll find it through Christ. And so I believe the kingdom of David will be restored, but it will be through Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's different. Yes, it's different because Israel didn't obey. But Jesus did come and he fulfilled all the things that he said that he was going to do. But notice what he did, though. When he came in, he actually brought in a new and better covenant. Again, just go to Hebrews, look up the word better, and look at all the things that we see. Better. That means there was something inferior. And understand, many of our Old Testament prophecies show an inferior, you know, uh, eschatology, you could say. What we see in the New Testament is better. We see inferior promises. If the New Testament promises are better, then the Old Testament ones are inferior. We see better sacrifice. We see a better high priest. I think we're going to see a better king of Israel. We're going to see better everything. But everybody reads these prophecies and act like they have to play out exactly as written in there. They can't play out exactly as written in there because Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do. But we do see similarities because Jesus came and he fulfilled all things. And legally he was able to do that because he was from Israel. And so we don't find fulfillment of these things in an ethnicity. We find them in Jesus Christ. And so there's a lot, while there's a lot that we could, more we could say about that, examples we can go into, I do just want to close with this because this is proof positive. This is proof positive. The Bible ended, ended this way, I think, for a reason. But I want you, if you have your Bibles, keep a finger in Ezekiel 37 and also open up to Revelation chapter 21. I have been beating the drum about this for a long time. People need to get a hold of this. So again, Ezekiel 37, 26, and I will make a covenant of peace with them. It should be an everlasting covenant with them. I will place them, multiply them, and will set my sanctuary in the midst of them forever, evermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. And the dispensation, tell you, this is talking about Israel. It's talking about Israel. God's not done with Israel. Okay. Let's just say you're right. All right. So according to dispensational theology, God is going to put his tabernacle with Israel and will be Israel's God and Israel will be his people. And the heathen shall know that I, the Lord, do sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them, Israel, forevermore. Okay. So y'all are looking for God to put a sanctuary, a tabernacle, a temple, whatever, in the midst of Israel forevermore. 
and you think it's that tabernacle we're going to see in Ezekiel 40 through 48. All right, that's what you think is going to happen. All right, so then how do we reconcile this? Because in Revelation 21, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. Now, this Ezekiel 37, this is an old heaven, old earth type thing that we're seeing take place there. But it also says forever. It also says forever. But here we have new heaven, new earth. For the first heaven and first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And this one's better. Another, another emphasis on the word better. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Ezekiel 37, 28, My tabernacle shall also be with them, Israel. Here it says, the tabernacle of God is with men. What's going on? Well, in chapter 20, after the thousand-year reign of Christ, what do we see? We see a great right throne. We see all everyone cast into hell that's not saved. We see Satan cast into hell. Jesus has fulfilled all things. Jesus has he's removed sin and iniquity from the world permanently. Under the new covenant, where there is no need of a temple anymore. There, there is no need of a temple in the new heaven and new earth. We don't need one. You know why? Because the sacrifice Jesus made 2,000 years ago, which will have been 3,000 at that point, is still good. It is still good. And sin has now been completely removed. All things have been fulfilled. The regeneration has taken place. The, king, the, the, the throne of David of that line of David has been reestablished. Righteousness has been brought to the earth. Iniquity has been removed. And so now, since all sin has been removed, it has been gone, forgotten. We have a new heaven, a new earth. Now God can dwell with man again like he did in the Garden of Eden. We see fellowship between God and man restored. God and man fellowshiped in the Garden of Eden, but man fell, brought sin into the world, causing God to need, need to leave. Because God can't be in the presence of sin. And we see Jesus Christ, that seed of a woman that was promised at the fall, has come and successfully removed sin, all sin and iniquity from the world. We received all these things spiritually, you know, upon salvation. Jesus, you know, cleansed us from our sins when he died on the cross. He paid for sins on the cross. But the full implementation of everything is something that's still yet to come. And it is going to come. And when it does come, sin's been removed. We don't need a, a permanent temple anymore where sacrifices are going to be made forever like we see in Ezekiel. We have something better. It's done. And there, and we're not dwelling among the heathen anymore. The heathen aren't going to be looking at us and saying, wow, you know, God does dwell among them. No, the heathen are going to be gone. That's better. Okay, this, is, this is better. And so we see the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them. And they shall be his people. Israel or men. That's everybody. At that point, there's no point in saying Israel. There's no point in making a distinction anymore. There is no distinction. There is no Israel and other nations. There is no Jew and Gentile. It's, it's all there. Everyone is going to be saved on the earth during this time. And God is going to dwell with man. Sin will be removed. We will be all be glorified at this point. And God will be able to live with us forever. And so note that fulfillment is better. Verse 22, this is important too. And I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. You see, 
in Ezekiel 40-48, we see this promise of this fantastic temple that's coming. That on one hand, you could say that never really happened. But on the other hand, it did get fulfilled, but not through a building made with hands, but in a better way through Jesus Christ. A temple that was destroyed, and three days later, he raised up again. See, what it all comes down to, prophecies all find their fulfillment through Jesus Christ. And that's what dispensationalists are missing. Dispensationalists are obsessed with an ethnic group. They're obsessed obsessed with a physical people. Jesus is the fulfillment of all these things. And so what we're going to see, what we've already seen, what we will continue to see through Ezekiel, are promises to Israel if they will do X, Y, and Z. Israel did not do X, Y, and Z. Like God told Ezekiel. And so what ended up happening, Jesus ended up coming. He showed up to do his part. Because he's righteous, he keeps his promises. But when Israel didn't do what they were supposed to do, we see Jesus did it all for him. Jesus did it all for him. He took on the, you know, he didn't purify the sons of Levi so they could offer up an acceptable sacrifice. You know what he did? He took on the role of high priest himself, or he didn't take it upon himself. God gave it to him, according to the book of Hebrews. And he offered up himself as a sacrifice. Jesus did it all. And so we're not, uh, we're, we, we find fulfillment of all things in Jesus Christ. And so if you're a dispensationalist, you're going to have to teach that God is going to dwell in a tabernacle, in a sanctuary, you know, in a building forever amongst Israel while simultaneously dwelling with all men, not in a tabernacle forever. You can't have both of those. You can have one. And guess what? I'm taking the one in Revelation. I'm taking the final revelation that we received of these things. I'm, I'm going to believe the better promise that came from the better sacrifice, from the better mediator, from the better covenants, the better promises, from the better high priest, Jesus Christ. So Ezekiel, the prophecies of Ezekiel will have a fulfillment, but it will be a better fulfillment. And so people, Saturday, they're going back to Ezekiel and they're claiming an inferior fulfillment of promises rather than the better fulfillment. And then when we listen to their inferior fulfillment, they say, that is not right. You're saying God lied. No, you're saying God lied. If we're going to go that, if we're going to play that game, because God said they weren't going to do these things. You're, you're ignoring that part. That it's in chapter one. I get it. By the time you get to chapter 37, you probably forgot what you read in chapter one. But we're supposed to, that's why we have to study a little bit and work a little harder than we do. It's not God's fault that we have an, the American tension span that can barely handle YouTube shorts for one minute. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. So Ezekiel 37, yeah, I, I don't think it's wrong to teach prophecy from that, but always do it in light of what has been revealed in the New Testament. Dispensationalists are getting it backwards. And so that we're going to see these same mistakes because they use the same hermeneutic when we get to the Gog and Magog prophecies, they mess those up so bad. Many are teaching two Gog and Magogs that are still to come. And that that's pretty funny when you actually know the truth about these things. So we're going to get to that tomorrow. And then uh, when we get to Ezekiel 40 through 48, we will talk about the uh, Ezekiel temple. And I hope this will be a help and a blessing to you. And so Bill Grady, thank you for challenging me those many years ago 
on that subject. It uh, just gave me a, helped me get a better understanding of the scriptures completely and showed me even more what a heresy it is that you teach about Israel. And so I appreciate everyone watching this. Hope it was a blessing. Uh, God bless you. And just for fun, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to close out this video with a montage of Bill Grady talking about yours truly. God bless. The main, the main thing I have to do is run around and look like a snake oil salesman. Right. Guy named McMurtry, pastors in Illinois, calls me Bill by my books great. That's his motto. <laughs> Listen here. I just passed by the other day, uh, this morning, I passed by uh, Jimmy John's out there in Swartz Creek, and I remembered sitting out there and, and talking to this McMurtry guy who pastors out in uh, Illinois somewhere, and man, I want to get that Jimmy John's turkey sub, and I was stuck out there because he was going on and on, and finally I said, man, nothing personal, but can't you read? Romans says, all Israel shall be saved. He said, I believe that. We're Israel. Suburb. I was ready to go into a Jimmy John's, amen? Get me a turkey sub. And one of these crazy groups of churches over here now fighting the Jews, I got into a conversation there in the parking lot on the phone with one of these preachers. He's pastoring a church in Illinois. So he's talking my ear off there. I'm dying to get this Jimmy John sandwich, and he keeps trying to convert me over to this uh, position. Finally, I said, man, nothing personal, but are you crazy? I said, can't you read the Bible? You could be in one of these nut job churches springing up all across America because I'm going to quote the pastor what he told me on the phone. On the telephone, I quoted that verse to him. I said, don't you believe what the Bible says? And you know what he said? All Israel shall be saved. You know what he said? Oh, I believe that verse. Where is Israel? Okay? Now let me tell you how crazy these people are. To show you that you should never get spoiled here, having a good pastor that will teach you right doctrine. For instance, one of these nuts over here, the pastors in Illinois, uh, had me tied up on a telephone call uh, last year, trying to convert me over to that position. And, uh, and, and I, I was trying to go into Jimmy John's to get a turkey sub. And I was in Switch Creek, Michigan. I was hungry as I could be. And he was tying me up, and I wasn't getting anywhere far. And finally, I just said, hey, man, nothing personal. Can't you read? They can't wait to show you. And by the way, oh, so all Israel shall be saved. Remember the verse we just read? I had, to, I had a conversation with some nut pastoring in Illinois on the telephone. He's trying to convert me over to this position. Pre Preacher, I'm trying to get into Jimmy John's over there to get a turkey sub, and he's got me tied up in the parking lot. And I'm going, trying to give it. It's like arguing with a Jehovah's Witness, giving him every verse I can give him. And finally I said, look, man, nothing personal, but can't you read? And so all Israel shall be saved. Now listen, you folks out here that could be spoiled, could be spoiled, you might have a good church here and you, you're spoiled and don't know how good you have it. How would you like to be in this guy's congregation in Illinois? You know what that guy said to me? He said, oh, I believe that verse. So all Israel shall be saved. I believe that, he said. Ready? We're Israel.